Disco Power Up is the podcast where superhero entrepreneurs connect and inspire each other to uplevel business by coming into deeper alignment with their authentic selves. I'm Mei Chan, business alignment coach and community builder, asking all of us, where is your dream life calling you to be more you? Welcome, Malachi. I'm excited to get into conversation with you. Thank you. Tell us how you came to start your business. So, um, it's a very, it's, it's, it's a very new venture in terms of, uh, I guess like my track record of starting things. Um, the octave center was an idea that I had, um, I think maybe about three or four years ago. It was just before, it was right around when I applied to uh, grad school to do a master's program. And the original idea was to build a center that provided resources for refugees. That was the original, that was the original idea. And it came from um, a lot of work that I had done as a documentary filmmaker, working with refugees. And um, there was a, a retreat that I had been on where I connected with someone who was interested in kind of building a similar thing. Um, her family had gone through a, um, I think some members of her family had gone through a refugee experience um, in Syria somewhere. I, I want to say it was, I'm not sure what the timing was for them, but um, so she was, uh, I think a first generation American and she had done some work in documentary filmmaking as well. And so we began to explore an idea to build um, an organization that would be focused on. So that was the original idea. And, and then, and, and then, then it morphed. Which yeah. Often it, it does. Yeah. It morphed because I came to, I mean, I had had a sense, I think just on a personal level, for a long time of what I've come now to think of as what might be called like sexual refugees. And it's the idea of folks who have experienced sexual trauma in one form or another. And similar to a refugee experience, like the world that they know and any safety or sense of sort of like home um, and their body is destroyed, and they can't really inhabit their body or the places they once knew um, as they used to. And so there's this experience. It's different than it's different than the refugee experience of being like forced to leave a physical home. But it's similar in the sense of feeling like that sense of home is destroyed and of it being questionable whether one will ever be able to safely return. Mm. Um, and so there is this sense of becoming kind of like a wanderer or a refugee who I think has this longing to return. But mm -hmm. the... But the, the safety element is the is the big piece. And so I think that it creates folks who may continue to live in the same places 
but there's this feeling where like home has been destroyed. Like the safety of the body has been destroyed. The safety of relationships, the safety of places has been destroyed. And so there is that, uh, there's that sort of experience of sort of being again, like without, without really like a, a, a home, like a, mm. a, like, 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 like a safe refuge. Hmm. I mean, not to dilute it too much, but I can relate to that story in a, what's the word, uh, is it metaphor way? I mean, I don't have the same type of stories that the people you're working with. But I, I mean, a lot of what I do is about it is safe to be me Mm -hmm. because of my upbringing and also um, being a woman of color in America I've been told it's not safe and I do struggle with being at home in my body and feeling like all of this is uh, a resource for me and not something to fight or something to disconnect from. Yeah. So it's really powerful. Um, I can imagine with the specific audience that you're calling in Mm -hmm. because I, I long for what you're talking about also. Yeah. With my own story. I mean, I, I think that um, – and I think that what you're talking about here I think is something that goes beyond sexual trauma for sure. I think that um, – I think that in general the the sense of safety is really challenged for – in a variety of ways. Um, and I think the cultural elements, including racist elements, sexist elements, and others – they do um, oppress and kind of like attack the, like the sovereignty of our own bodies. And when our own bodies don't feel safe to be in, like where does that leave us to go? Yes, exactly. So we, we can find ways, really creative ways to dissociate, right? Or just like disconnect. Oh yeah. 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 It's a, you know, the, the, the mechanism, if you will, of being able to kind of leave mm-hmm. um, is it has um, it has a certain purpose that allows people to remain intact, or at least like parts of them to remain intact. And there's a writer by the name of Donald Kalsheld, Kalshed. Um, who wrote a, a book called Trauma of the Soul. He, was a, he is a, a Jungian depth psychologist and uh, writes about the experience of sexual trauma um, from like a depth perspective. But what he talks about with the experience of dissociation or sort of like splitting off, that part of us that is violated – or, you know, attacked or oppressed becomes a part that for many folks, they have to, they feel like they have to abandon. Like the, mm-hmm. the amount of intensity of pain and so forth mm-hmm. is so extreme. Um, and for a lot of folks, it, it feels almost life-threatening. Yes. That there, there is this experience of, of abandonment. And... I think for some, it feels like a part of them even like dies or has to die in order Mm -hmm. for the other parts of them like to be able to live. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the work that I'm doing 
is I think it, it, it can be thought of as helping a person to realize that or helping a person to have an experience where they're able to um, I, I, I think to, to, to stop that abandonment experience and to mm-hmm. come and to come back and for that part of them that has been split off or abandoned to have an experience of being able to come home again. Yeah. Um, but it's a very, very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Can you process. see that I'm having my own experience of this right now? Yeah. Talking with you. Yeah. <laughs> this has not happened before mm-hmm. on the podcast, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, it's, I'm it's super relating. Yeah. Looking for that sense of safety and uh, feeling like it's life threatening mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just told you, like, I really like when the podcast just follows the thread, and here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, this is worth the price of admission already. <laughs> this having this moment. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I'm hearing that there was an initial intention to serve refugees and then it pivoted toward something where you talked about sexual refugee. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome all who just joined. Um, how did that come to land and root that felt like that was the new uh, direction for you? It was, it, I mean, Really, it was because, in in some respects, it was because like that is what I needed, and I also recognized that need in so many other survivors that I would meet. Um, I do want to credit. So my wife Sonia um, is from Pakistan. She immigrated with her family when she was eight, and. Um, they went through a very, very difficult ordeal with oh. um, with coming into the U.S. and just the amount of insecurity they constantly lived with um, and uncertainty of being able to, to stay in the U.S., um, just struggles with citizenship and so forth. And um, I remember when she and I first – so we've known each other since the sixth grade. I, you know – I was a white guy in like Indiana growing up and not, you know, the struggles of like an immigrant, you know, girl in my class who, you know, there were, I want to say maybe three or four students, um, I think from, from South Asia who were in my, you know, class of 300 odd, you know, students or so. I wouldn't have known, you know, the struggles that she was going through at the time, the amount of insecurity that she lived with on a daily basis. And after high school, we went our separate ways and then um, had separate marriages. And then when we, when we met again in 2017, I remember one of the early conversations we had, um, she just talked about she, – she was the first person in conversations with me where she talked about, like, just safety mm-hmm. and how, like, for her, like, growing up and even, you know, and, and even as an adult, like safety was really like the core thing for her where she really 
she hadn't felt safe. And that was like a really deep longing for her was to feel safe. And it was in that conversation, I distinctly remember it was like, it was like she just reached over and just like slightly adjusted the dial of my sort of like internal radio receiver, if you will. Mm, I know that mm-hmm. everything now is like radios are sort of, but for folks my age and so forth who understand like yeah. radi- radios, you know, yeah. are still a thing. Antenna they, they, with little exactly. beep, 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 beep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. totally. Um, yeah, it was like, it was like this static that, that had been, you know, going on. It was like, she just adjusted it a little bit and I was like, oh my God. Like what you're saying, like it was just this click moment where I was like, I had never been able to simply say the sentence, like I didn't feel safe. Mm. Like it was that like fundamental truth. There had never been something like that simple. It was always, it was always other stuff, but it was never just fundamentally like, oh, I didn't feel safe. And like, I I didn't feel safe in my family. I didn't feel safe in my church. I didn't feel safe at school. Um, I didn't feel safe in my body and to have that like sort of click, it was like so many other things then made sense when it came to like issues that I had that I thought were just weird eccentricities of themselves, just like sort of, you know, like weird little personality traits of not being comfortable in certain kinds of situations or sometimes having like a little bit of like a compulsive you know, nature, um, and all these things seemed like these sort of disparate, just like, oh, like those are things that, you know, make me a little weird. Mm -hmm. All those things were just because I didn't feel safe. Like they all connected Mm. to that core root, which was at a, in some ways at like the deep level, it was that in my body, I didn't feel safe. And so it would come out in these other ways that seemed like they were multiple layers removed, but like just getting down and down and down, the core of it was, I didn't feel safe. And so her, you know, her own journey with that. And then me kind of feeling like I was recalibrated or reoriented a little bit. It became just this, I mean, it was so simple, but it was also so revelatory. Yeah. A whole new lens. It sounds a whole like. new lens. Yeah. Like you got new eyes. Yes. And along with that came um, this field of study, which some people call the science of safety, um, which is polyvagal theory. And the polyvagal theory is talked about by Stephen Porges, who developed the theory um, and presented it, I believe kind of unveiled it in the 90s, was what he calls our quest for safety. And that humans and really like i mean most creatures with nervous systems are constantly evaluating the environment for cues of safety and threat Mm -hmm. and cues of safety stimulate our nervous system to very spontaneously feel more open to connection even seeking connection enjoying connection um as well as uh like an internal sense of safety and well-being um our sort of full range of behaviors cognitively, behaviorally are, are, um, are accessible to us. So the ability to sort of like reason and make choices um, and, you know, to, to plan 
you know, for the future to execute on things in the present and even like to be present, like those sorts of behaviors and things are available when a person feels safe. Mm. And when a person is mobile, like the whole healthy human living experience. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, essentially what I just heard, Mm -hmm. how to be here now, how to think well and clearly about future and the actions I can take to get there. I is I mean, I'm just relating and laughing because that's yeah. business coaching too, or like the way yeah. I think of business coaching is like what is it to be an entrepreneur but to think well about what's possible mm-hmm. and the actions we can take to get there. Yes. So yes. It's like simple and huge at the same time, like so yeah. many things. Yeah. The I think the what what the polyvagal theory helped me do was drop so much of the self-judgment that I had carried for three decades, feeling like something was wrong with me. Um, I mean, there were, there were three sort of like truths that I found over the course of my own healing journey. And that was like the truth that I'm not alone, the truth that I'm not broken and the truth that I can not only heal, I can grow. Um, the broken part I have heard from so many survivors, I mean, certainly in sexual trauma, but so many other kinds of experiences where folks feel like this sort of sense of flawedness um, or brokenness or like some part of them is and, – and it's this it, – it's, it's so often internalized. Like it's their fault yeah. that they can't hack it. And what polyvagal theory and Stephen Porges and others like Deb Dana who have helped to translate that theory into practice in the world and like so many applications now – what they helped like teach me was just like you don't feel safe and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's it's super simple, mm-hmm. and so it was like okay, so it's like all right, if I'm feeling safe, then when I'm doing like strategic planning or even thinking that it's possible for me yes. as like you know a person with agency and sovereignty and so forth, that if I feel safe, I have a, an actual physiological state mm-hmm. that gives me the ability to even think about the future in ways that can be strategic as well as tactical, to be thinking creatively, to be thinking in, in terms of relationship, you know, and so forth. And all those things are available because I feel safe. So I, I, I can have a sense of like hope, optimism, possibility, um, and so forth. And so those things are all available to a person when they have that sense. But when a person is mobilized or shut down, which corresponds to two other pathways that people predictably respond with when there are cues in the environment of threat. Mm-hmm. And these can be things like a child who grows up with a sense of sort of like unpredictability with parents or caregivers, you know, abuse situations, neglect and things, bullying, you know, things like that. So when, when those kinds of experiences happen, a person's sense of safety is threatened. And so our body, our physiological state changes in response to that. And some of the ways that it, that it often does that is by shifting the blood flow in our body so that um, the, the, like the neocortex, the prefrontal cortex, like the, the sort of like the newer – quote unquote, like higher sort of centers of the brain that are kind of executive, that are also involved in, in, in reasoning. I would say like what we think of as higher reasoning as well as relational mm-hmm. connection. 
Mm-hmm. Um, blood flow drop, like reduces. Yeah. And it impacts those parts of the brain that are involved in what we think of as like higher reason, future thinking, you know, planning, creativity, connection, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it, it tends to increase blood flow to our arms and our legs. So this is called, like, th- this is what some people uh, call fight or flight. Like that right, mode. that's what I was picturing. <laughs> yes. And it Don't also, think, just go. Right, yes. Just get out of there. Yeah. Save yourself. Yeah. So there's, um, it also decreases blood flow and sort of activity in the digestive tract. And so when people get a sense of, like, nausea with stress, or tightness in the stomach, or even things like constipation or diarrhea, like things like that, those are because of physiological shifts that are happening to optimize the amount of energy that's available for a fight-or-flight confrontation. And, again, it's, it's not even in the face of, like, a life threat. It could be in the face of I'm going to walk into the office of a person who is either going to approve or deny financing that I'm applying for for my business or it might be a client or whatever it happens but these situations yeah. can trigger memories that people have had and where they've been in similar situations that may have been traumatizing where they feel a sense of powerlessness or helplessness or dependency or uncertainty and so these feelings can come up again where you know I'm, I've had this experience Mm-hmm. Where, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go have some sort of important conversation and all of a sudden it's like I feel like I go blank. I can't yeah. think straight. Like yep. the plan that I have, the flow, the lot, like all these things that I would prepared for all of a sudden feel inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And the, the amount of self-judgment where I'm like, oh, like I'm such like I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't deserve this. Like mm. if, if I can't even walk into this presentation and think clearly, how could I possibly deserve to, like, win this client or win this contract or get hired or, like, whatever it happens to be. So there's this self-talk that comes along. And part of what I learned with this theory is that story follows state. So I'll say that again. Yes, I want to know. I want to hear that broken down. So it means that if, if I'm in a state of connection, Within polyvagal theory, it's called a ventral vagal state. So it's the, the, the vagus nerve has two branches, and the ventral or front branch innervates the heart, face, throat, larynx, and so forth. And it impacts things like eye gaze, eye contact. Like, so when we're talking right now and our heads are moving around in different directions, this right. is the vagus nerve exerting influence and cues that we're sending each other about – like, I'm listening to you, I'm yeah. hearing what you're saying, I'm agreeing. You. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. the head nodding, all that. It's, yeah. part of, it's, it's part of what are called social cues. And the sure. vagus nerve is a part of that. And even the prosody, like the, change, like the inflection in the voice that changes, is something that when a person is in a ventral vagal state, and I think right now I'd say, like, I'm in a ventral vagal state, I feel open, connected, you know, curious. The birds curious are, are confirming. Yeah. The birds, yes. <laughs> So there's, um, so there's the, like the ability even of the voice to have range in terms of volume and, and pitch and so forth is all like sort of optimized in a ventral vagal state. And so the story that a person might have about themselves in a ventral vagal state would be things like, I feel safe, I feel connected, I feel whole, I feel curious, I feel creative, I feel powerful, I feel like I have a choice, I feel hope. Like whatever those might be, but all of those are stories 
if you will, that follow a state of being in that kind of ventral activation. When a person experiences a threat in the environment or a potential threat in the environment, the story may change and the story will change if our state changes. So when I was describing that sense of like, I'm going into a customer pitch or whatever it might be, it's some, it's yeah. some, it's some meeting. Perceived that, that, threat. Yeah. It's, it's a, and it's, it's a threat because it's a value. It's like, this is valuable. I want it's so important. badly. Yes. Yes. And yeah. so, and it's like, I need, I need your help. I need you as a client. Like I need your revenue. I need, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this loan. I need this investment, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Yeah. So there's, there, so fear can come up. A sense of threat can happen. And again, for folks who have experienced trauma, there can be this tendency where there's kind of a priming where they're, they're more likely to perhaps fall into that, uh, like shift into that state because their system is so used to having to like kind of take care of itself to feel like I need to survive. And so again, the experience that happens is this one of physiological, like heart rate will increase blood flow again to like the cortex, prefrontal cortex and so forth decreases. Hormones may be secreted like cortisol and adrenaline that are also a part of energizing the body for fight or flight. This is also simplistic. There are other ways where we're going to talk about like a challenge, like a challenge response. That's not quite like a sympathetic activation, but, but if a person goes into more of like a fear mode and they start you know, they, they, they lose their sense of sort of cognitive sharpness. They maybe feel a sense of going blank and so forth. It could be that they've gone into a fight or flight state. And so the story that comes from that state tends to be the world is threatening, the world's dangerous. And it also might be like, God, this is so frustrating. Um, I hate myself. Like, I feel mm-hmm. embarrassed. I feel like whatever it is. So there's these. There's Maybe it's this, never going to happen. Maybe yeah. I give up. Maybe yeah. Yeah. it really is hopeless. That's yeah. sort of like defeat talk. And so sometimes what will happen. So in that state, though, again, like a person, it's not like a person chooses to go into that state. Again, part of what helped me drop the judgment from polyvagal theory was learning that it's not a state that people choose. Like, these states ha- happen automatically, and then the range of behaviors are, like, limited in terms of, like, what state a person happens to be in. And so if a person, you know, becomes sort of, like, activated and begins having this self-talk, it's very, it, it's very difficult, but it's also not their fault. And, again, on a fundamental level, it's just because they don't feel safe. Yeah, and it's not their fault. And it's not so, their fault. So, forgive me, I'm looking for the... How do we get out of it? Because what I do is with myself and with my clients is try to change the story, tell a different story based on what, I mean, the way I think of it, and I'm not a researcher, I'm not, it's really very intuitive, but uh, like in my highest, best, calm self, Mm -hmm. like when I sit down at my journal in the morning and I'm well rested, I can say to myself, it really is going to be okay. This hopeless feeling is not the truth. Yeah. And I can connect with the safety of the universe and universal love. Yeah. uh, Having something good for me. Yeah. That's one way that I say it. And then I can change the story and try to change the state. But that's where I think you're saying, right? It's sort of 
Oh, man. Yeah. Chicken egg, is it? Right, yes. Yeah, yeah, because story tends to follow state. And so it's what's interesting, so this is the thing that also, like, was both frustrating. And then when I, when I had, again, it's like a click moment, I was like, oh, my God, I can't expect myself to have a story of connection and hope and possibility if I'm in a state of, like, shutdown and collapse. So the stories within – like a mobilization, fight or flight state, the stories within a shutdown collapse state, those are the stories that will always be in those states. And so if a person okay. shifts into those states, those stories will come up because those are the stories that live there. And that they're not, it's not that they're it's not that they're like false per se, it's not that they're the person's like fault. Or there's – again, it, it's not like there's a lack or some sort of flaw in them. It's just that those stories of disconnection, lack of hope, lack of self-worth, and all those things are stories that live in those states of shutdown because there's some kind of threat. And because there's a – actually, I'll, I'll say in, with or without a threat, there's this feeling of not being safe. And so mm-hmm. the shutdown is one way that we um, – is one way that we'll address if we're not feeling safe, our system might shut down. And another way that we might address not feeling safe is to mobilize and either kind of go into like a fight mode or like an avoidant mode. So those are just ways that we're trying to, to help ourselves feel safe. And so what I, what I began to learn was like, okay, like I can't expect, I can't expect quote unquote me in this state to come up with a different narrative while I'm in that state, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it is, it's really, really hard because it's like, again, it's sort of like the, the faculties that have like those stories and so forth, they're in another state. And so getting back to that state is the way to then begin to get these glimmers. And so this is what, so this is, so Deb Dana, who's a colleague of Stephen Porges. She was the one who recognized the transformative power of polyvagal theory in the clinical setting. So she's a therapist. And so she began applying polyvagal theory and developing exercises and things that she would do within a clinical setting with clients that were based on Porges' work. Porges is a researcher. Deb is a – Deb Dane is a clinician. Practitioner. Yes. Yeah. And so what she came up with is what she calls triggers and glimmers. And so when you're Mm. thinking about, like, with your coaching work, it's like – Okay, if I'm in a if, if we have these sort of three different layers, our ventral vagal state where we feel connected, hopeful, creative, and so forth, mm-hmm. we have our sympathetic activated state where we feel fight or flight, and our what's called in polyvagal theory the dorsal vagal state, which is basically a state of like collapse, shutdown, low energy, mm. um, you know, and so forth. So the triggers part is recognizing if you're in a ventral vagal state, what kinds of tr- what kinds of triggers tend to send me into a state of feeling like I have to like fight or avoid Mm -hmm. or make me feel like shut down. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing those triggers can help a person. So if they wind up being in a state where there's like, God, like, I don't know. I don't know if I deserve this. I think this is a bad idea. You know, there's like, there's a whole change in like, even just like posture and eye contact, all these sorts of things happen. This sort of sense of like, there's no energy there's a block in terms of being able to write or think. So it could be like looking at like what happened that created this shift. So you can look at like a trigger mm. and the trigger might be 
I like I'm supposed to pitch tomorrow and I like I feel like this block or like whatever. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, there's a pitch. Well, why? So it can be going through that that sort of process of looking at this pitch would give my business like if we succeed, it could give my business like a whole new future, like whatever right. it is. It's, it's again, right. it's like it's something that matters. Right. And Pressure so it, maybe from that. Yeah. So it's like, oh, gosh, like that. And so why is it important? So it can help a person kind of reconnect to the, like, their reason for being, if you will, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. which can bring energy and inspiration that can be a glimmer. So it's like a glimmer of light or hope that then helps a person. Glimmers bring you up. Triggers bring you down. (laughs) Yes. Got it. Yeah. And the same thing. Well, so maybe just consciousness of those glimmers and triggers. Is that Mm -hmm. what we're getting at? And then... Yeah, the glimmers piece is understanding, like, really on, like, a very individual level, what are the things that tend to make me feel better? <laughs> I mean, and that can be things like food, it can be going for a walk, it can be a conversation with a good friend. Like, there, I, I think there are some people, sometimes there are certain people that I just, like, think about talking to them. And it makes me change. Like, it, it creates a shift yeah. where I can, I can see their face, like, looking at me. I can see them saying something just as simple as, like, God, like, that sounds really hard. Like, just simple like that in their own voice. Yeah. And I'm like, and the, the, that sort of inner dialogue I'm having with this person that sort of makes me feel uplifted can sometimes right. be enough that I'll, I'll feel this, like, shift. And the self-judgment. It sounds so magical, but, like, you kind of had the conversation that lifted you even without having the literal conversation. Yes. But sometimes you need it. Yeah. But, I mean, sometimes you need it. It's just, like, there's a, you know, there was a a friend of mine that I called the other day after this workshop that I had given because I just felt kind of, like, depleted and tired. And, you know, even just thinking about, like, hearing his voice on the other end of the line made me feel feel more uplifted. And then, like, actually hearing them. It was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, this is nice. And so it, again, it, it sort of helped me shift my state. Yeah. So the Glimmers piece is a huge learning where, again, it's, it, it's just recognizing that the states that we, that we move in and out of on any given day are not our fault. Mm. They're connected to a person's sense of safety and connection in the world. Mm. We have, on a biological level, a, an impulse and an imperative to seek safety and connection. Our nervous systems thrive by being connected to other nervous systems. It's what um, both Porges and Bonnie Badnock, who also writes about polyvagal theory, Stephen Porges, it's that we're wired to co-regulate. So like our self-regulation is really dependent on our ability to connect and co-regulate with others. Mm. So, Again, when we think about triggers and glimmers, triggers can be a sense of, like, disconnecting from other people. And if we're hardwired to, like, seek that connection and that gets ruptured through an argument, you know, with a co-founder or a fight with a client, it sucks. Or, you know, getting fired by a client. It's almost (laughs) always – I mean, we just talked about the imagined um, connection. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was, you know, kind of describing where you just almost felt like you had the conversation without having it. And you feel lifted, you know what I do is have the, like, judging, criticizing conversation with people that I didn't really have. And then I'm like, ugh. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm 
so powerful. I oh my goodness! Yes, these uh, projections of judgment before I even take a step. Yes, and that's the, the, the of course survival. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our brain has this amazing predictive capacity, and part of what our mind will do <laughs> is it will imagine a conversation of importance to us going really bad. And sometimes what we'll do, like what I will do in those conversations when I'm imagining like, okay, when I, when I get face to face with this person who's wronged me or insulted or like whatever, you know, my brain will come up with 150 ways to like say the thing that completely shuts them down and like, you know, makes you victorious. It makes me victorious. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, but usually instead of making me feel better, it might, it, it, it's almost like even though the mind might come up with something, it's like, oh, that's a great thing to say. The mind will loop right back around and then replay over and over and over again. And that state tends to keep me in a state of either being mobilized or kind of shut down. But I don't feel, again, present, hopeful, creative, and so forth. So it's those those triggers and glimmers. I love that phrase because it's, I think it's easy to remember. Yeah. But it's – I mean, what I'm thinking in terms of like your coaching, it's like if a person is feeling down, it's like what glimmers can they sort of like what light can kind of crack, come through some cracks? Well, and you don't have to wait for it, right? You yeah. can like know what a glimmer, I mean, this is what I'm, I'm going to say. I don't know glimmer trigger, tr- uh, trigger <laughs> theory, but like what I'm going to say is I can know what my glimmer, is there a glimmer trigger, right? Like I can right. make myself go up. <laughs> By yes. knowing what I need right now. Yeah. But the first state is awareness, or a state may not be the right word, yeah. awareness that I even need to go to the, you know, the cookie jar of glimmers, right? Yes. And go avail myself because it's just, there's a certain default for me anyway mm-hmm. of like, no time, just keep going. What I feel like right. doing. Yeah. It's, it's not safe. So just like, shut down you know and yeah. not even realize or even yeah. i sometimes will play a in between where it's like so much awareness but in a way that can be bypassing too mm-hmm. of like really getting to the thing that's really crazy scared right now that kind yeah. of thing too yeah so just what a journey we have <laughs> it is it's it is hard and I think that part of it is also because when a person shifts into a state and they're, they're like the resources that are available to them, they do diminish. They yeah. they do they do diminish, and mm-hmm. so that that awareness piece is hard. And I I think it's part of the reason why we need other people. Like like when it comes to healing, when it comes to, I mean any endeavor, building a company, yeah. it requires yeah. relationships. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's these so are true. the rugged individual as cherished as it is still in our Western culture. It is a false. It, it, it is a false myth They're mm-hmm. like the idea of self-made. I mean, people rely on relationship and each other in order to thrive and succeed. And um, others are really critically important and even helping us with our own awareness that yeah. that relationality um, I think – I mean, I can imagine as a coach, you're able to be someone's awareness. Yeah. Like when there's maybe a lack of, it's sort of like, oh, like May like may extends the awareness that I have of myself and helping mm-hmm. me to like 
it almost like reminding me of like my higher self, my capabilities, my power, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, and so forth. And so I think that that's where I just encourage people. It's like, it's not all on you. And that's part of the thing I think that also like I try and share with folks is like, it's not just about becoming a master of like your own self and reaching some place yes. where you can finally always perfectly address like, Ooh, like here comes a ripple of trigger. I'm going to tap into my glimmers and I'm going to avoid this. It's like, no, it's like what you need is you need that. The village. <laughs> you need, like, you the need. village. And yeah. Malimo 38 is reminding us about the uh, book radical compassion. I think it's Tara Brock mm. uses an acronym called rain and forgive me. I can't remember what it all is. But what I remember is you're receiving, you're becoming aware, you're, I think, just slowing it down and just almost like giving you the medicine that you Mm -hmm. need. But that she just uh, advocates, just go practice that every day. Or like there's something, a painful thought, and then just go into that that process. So Mm -hmm. thanks, Malimo. Good reminder. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I think we do I just, need the village. We do need the village. And I think, again, like that's the part where it comes to self-judgment, where it's like, okay, on a base level, the experience you're having is because you don't feel safe. When you don't feel safe, you your system will shift into a state that limits the range of behaviors that are available. While you can absolutely become better at – um, at, at, at recognizing and even like using some tools and things, it also is not all your fault and it's not all up to you. And I think some releasing that and having a community, having people in your life who were able yeah. to sort of extend your awareness, bring compassion when you need it for yourself, bring encouragement, bring a kick in the butt if, if that's what you need also, you know? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. Well, the kick in the butt is allowable when you're not, like, cowering in the corner scared, right? Yeah, like, the kick yeah. in the butt is almost like you – it happens naturally when you're like, well, yeah. I do want it. And there's real – if the thing that is keeping me down about mm-hmm. it or whatever, like, away from it is not real or doesn't have to be yeah. what I thought, then just go. Like, just go. It's yours. Yeah. yeah. That Molly little reminder is writing. Yeah. Recognize, investigate, allow, nurture. Thank you okay. for for getting that in there. Which I I mean, just as you were talking, I was like, what if we had? I mean, it's so powerful that we have this resource for ourselves that we don't yeah. have to like give our power away. Like we need other people to do it. But what if we had a community of people that are like with you? Mm-hmm. Let's recognize, investigate, allow, and nurture. Like, what if it's okay, just right where you are? It's not your fault is yeah. part of what I hear, right? It's, yes. What if it's okay this where you are today? Yes. That and is then, what I think that's what I'm trying to say is that it is I, – I appreciate, like, the self-skill and work towards self-mastery. And I think a part of self-mastery is realizing that it's not, it's not all on us individually. It's just yes. not. And yeah. we are and can be, like, the extensions of awareness for each other. We can be the compassion that we need. We can be the encouragement. We can be the glimmers. 
Like yeah. we can be and are the glimmers that help each other and that don't make us have to abandon kind of what we were talking about in the beginning. We don't have to abandon ourselves and feel like it's all up to us because that is kind of mm-hmm. a defensive posture, even just sort of being like, well, I have to be the master and I have to do it all. It continues that myth of like, yeah, it's all up to you. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do it, it's your fault because you haven't mm-hmm. mastered yourself. Mm-hmm. And, it's like, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm like, no, don't, no. Like, don't it, it's like that. Don't allow that part to hijack you and make you think yeah. that you continue to have to be everything to yourself. Yep. Yep. I needed that. I needed that. And of course there's that part of us where if that's the message I want to give others, then we have to receive it ourselves. Right. Like I want to be, I want to be the coach that says you got this, which also means I have to be the person that says, you know, it's okay. I'm okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you could just share a piece of um, of a, a delight that you've had in in your practice, in your your business, your offerings. Greatest mm-hmm. joy. I think one of the greatest joys that I've had this year is there was a group of four men. Um, all of us who have a shared history of sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and we came together. I, I, I did a, what's called a collaborative inquiry. Um, it was a pilot study that I did in my PhD program and, but it was collaborative because we were all researching the experience of flashbacks for men who have a history of sexual trauma. And the purpose of the group was not, to the purpose of the group was just to explore that phenomenon and kind of like understand like is there kind of like a commonality you know for for people who identify as male-bodied men are there some common aspects of the experience of flashbacks but what was unexpected is that the group remarked and to this day I mean this is um, I think this is like April of this year, Mm -hmm. the group still remarks on how powerful and healing it was just to come into a group where that part of themselves and their life was able to be taken for granted. So there was Mm. no, there was no story that was needed. I think it's, it's sort of, it, it, it reinforced how, like what an amazing experience it is just to be in a safe space. Yes. And so, there, I, I remember a couple of them um, saw each other at um, had the, had the chance to see each other. I think at like a, a men's retreat or something, and they talked about how they couldn't, they had never had an experience where they so quickly felt like they could just drop in and feel like this deep sense of connection and safety with another man. Mm. And so I just feel like. Um, I think like that's the thing that I want to be able to bring and offer, even though it's not me, it's just like, it's really, it's like the power of the space itself. It's the power of the connection. You convened it, you facilitated it, you made it have a a meaning. I mean, you led it 
toward an intention. It's powerful. But I think I think it's what it is though is like it was not something that I it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like I was like I mean again it's sort of like I wanted I wanted it to be a safe container because we're exploring difficult content, right? Um, sure. But the thing that was unexpected and that I just saw as like a I mean I experienced it myself just like the gift of safety that that created and how like I felt it in my bones like I felt mm. it so deep in like within a sense of absolute like trust and safety mm. and it has continued to have this impact where I like I just continue to feel this depth of like trust the safety and belonging um both with them and also within myself where it's like I, yeah. I when I'm with when I'm connected with them it's like my body feels safe like I can be I can be home mm. and it's okay I'm just uh also it's beautiful what you created in the room but also interesting what you, they needed you needed what you needed they needed yeah and that's what for me I call the win-win right like if you're digging some for something in your business, that's like, what do they need? Often the power <laughs> comes from that it connects with something we need. Yeah. Because we're going to swim harder for that thing. And if we can be conscious of it, right, then, mm -hmm. then it can be our power and not our, like, unconscious, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, <laughs> we get to tap on it, yeah. tap into it. Yeah. Uh, can you share a business challenge also that's, uh, facing you right now? <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> Good. Good initial feeling, chuckle. <laughs> feeling, yeah, feel, feeling safe. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think in terms of business challenge, it's – so when I built – I built a documentary production company, and then I did a media company after that, and my MO in those companies was, like, hustle – my ass off at all times mm -hmm. and I was so often just in that like kind of exacerbated like constantly at like the edge of myself yeah. um, and just trying to push and wanting and, and having kind of this the scarcity mentality around clients and fundraising and viewers I mean everything there was just constantly like we got to do it today. We've got to grow. We've got to push. And I think now I, I feel like such a, I feel like this similar sense of upliftment and excitement about building the center. But the thing that I'm trying to be different about is the pace. Mm -hmm. I'm really trying to be diligent about, no, really just focus on making this thing like, like make this thing good, and when you've got that thing dialed in, take the next step. But mm. like, but but it's it, I think it's the tendency to want to like to do everything at once, or even like talk about and be like, yeah, I'm doing this right now. But in you know a year we're gonna and it's it's right. like yeah yeah yes. The so be here now, right? The so be here now yeah. and be fully here and be as fully you in the here. As yeah. possible. I think it's the patience piece. It's like it's to be just like both the patience and also the trust that things things do unfold in their own time, and that's okay. Mm 
And if mm -hmm. they unfold at a time that is different than what my mind might say, like, should be, mm -hmm. then to understand, like, yeah, like, thank you. I appreciate that part of me that has that opinion. And that part of me made us really miserable, like, you know, in, in, in the other ventures in terms of the sort of, like, constantly cracking the whip. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's kind of like, hey, you know, I appreciate it. And you know what? Actually, sure. Maybe we we can move things up a month because it could be advantageous for this. Um, but there might be other times where it's like, you know what? No, like I appreciate your opinion. You have a seat at the table with the other council members of my internal dialogue, you know. Uh, right. Like, but you're not the right. boss. Like you've got to, yeah. um, you know, you can offer your opinion. And um, we need to listen to some other, like, council that looks at previous track records of imploding because things got too spread, like, spread too thin. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's sort of like that internal <laughs> committee and, yeah. like, working with coaches or advisors, you know, or, or so where it's like, okay, I think what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on this one product right now. And I think for me, it's even though I, I feel like I'm chomping at the bit, it's like, I I have clarity about like this yoga for trauma, yoga for sexual yeah. trauma um, approach. You know, I've tested it out in two different ways so far. Um, the feedback that I got is saying very resoundingly, like this is good, keep going. So, nice. um, so I. So wanna, that's the one thing right now. That yeah, that is the one thing, and I think that's going to expand naturally in the course of um, like like my dissertation work, um, mm -hmm. which is bringing in an additional approach. They're certainly like integrated, um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, there there's like there's some difference. So, but right now it's like it's sort of like looking at the signs and be like, okay, like things have been unfolding for the yoga piece, and there's energy there, there's interest and so forth. So it's, uh, it, it, and I would just look at it and be like, well, that's what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So continue to put energy into that and like make it good, but yeah. don't try and like do even all of it at the same time, like be yeah. willing to build it brick by brick. Mm hmm. Thank you. I, I do work with my clients um, to go ahead and do the long-term vision dream because yeah. what, what I don't, what I see clients doing sometimes and getting themselves kind of backed in a corner is like only looking at today from a fear-based mm -hmm. space and then just grabbing any dollars that come or any opportunities that come. But to say, do look at the big picture dream. Check the now to align with that mm -hmm. and then sort of forget about the big picture in a way like <laughs> yeah it's both right isn't yeah. it interesting how it's it's dream but be here now dream you know but but really just to make sure it's lined up and um really in your uh like the committee of decision makers it's the one that is in the uh, highest best self place and mm -hmm. not just the like I'm here to make sure nothing bad ever happens to you fear-based yeah voice <laughs> yeah and yeah. they're all welcome and they all just need to be thank you but I got this I call that fear person mod mod <laughs> who's like 
wringing her hands and going, oh, are you sure? Yeah. I mean, I, I named her because I, she talks a lot. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like, I mean, I mean, the movie Inside Out, like that Pixar movie. Yeah. It's like that really yes. is like a more accurate picture of people's kind of internal workings is it's not just one voice in there. It's right. like it's a village and um, there's and they all have different roles and tasks they all have different stories and even like even some of them have completely different worldviews philosophies you know and so forth all within like a single individual yeah and i also i do agree with you that there is i mean people have had different names for it in sort of different systems carl jung talked about it as like the inner self with a capital s so it's sort Mm -hmm. of like the inner the innermost being um which he also connected to a sense of like sort of a connection to the divine, almost like a ray, if you will, of like mm. the, the, the soul. Some people think about it as the soul. Sri Aurobindo talks about it as like the psychic self. Um, mm. Yoga, in, in some systems of yoga, it's Purusha, in others it's Atman. There's like there's different words for that sort of highest and best self. Mm. Michael, Michael Singer, who wrote Untethered Soul, talks about it as the seat of self. So it's kind mm. of like that aspect of us that kind of sits behind everything and sort of witnesses mm. and mm. sees all of it and grows as a part of all of this experience. Um, but it is the thing that when we tap into it at our deepest level is able to sort of orchestrate things and see again, sort of like in a way I think of it as almost like a sovereign function where mm. it's like the sovereign understands in theory how to, how to make the, the the land thrive. And mm. so, you know, perhaps you need the warriors, perhaps you need the, the farmers, perhaps you need the children, you know, perhaps you need the bankers or, or like whoever, like sort of in our sort of sovereign land, mm. they, they, they have like, you know, a role in being able to understand and make judgments and calculations and, and like decisions and so I, I think, like, when you're talking about the highest and best self, I think of, like, that innermost part that is able to listen. Yeah. And Learn. also decide. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Know when to, like, listen to Maud and know when yeah. to be like, Maud, really appreciate all the insights mm-hmm. that you've brought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm Okay. We're not yeah. actually falling off a cliff right now. Yeah, yeah. I am okay. How would you like people to connect with you, Malachi? People who have resonated with your message and want to know more. Maybe the yoga instructor training. Um, yeah, I mean, to that's going to be launching publicly in March. Um, okay. I think that... You know, in terms of either through the Octave Center on Instagram um, or emailing me um, in terms of just inquiring about the training. The training is both for uh, survivors and for healing practitioners. Okay. So um, because what's being taught, both the theory and like the, the application and skills are applicable to people who are healing themselves and it's also applicable you know it it also is for people who are who are working with others who are healing Mm -hmm. so you know if someone is interested in learning more about that 
then I would say, you know, reach out to the center in terms of the dates, um, which we will be posting soon. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a wait list or something you can establish. There will be, yes. There will right? be both, okay. yes. There will be like a wait list, and then there will be both registration and then a wait list in terms of as we fill up, we'll probably add like additional yeah. dates. But people who so. can maybe uh, sign up for something now that says, do let me know when mm. happening. Yeah. Like to be first to get into that, the next training. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so much knowledge and uh, your heart, most of all, for what you're doing. Well, thanks for thanks for inviting me to connect on this, and I appreciate it. Yeah. May people find you who are just right for what you're offering. Likewise. All right. Have a great day. All right. Bye. All right. Thanks, Meg. Bye.